brought to you again once again by the uh, folks over at Thorium Wealth. Check them out online, thoriumwealth.com, for more information. Full disclosures, T-H-O-R-I-U-M. Our thanks to them for their support of this show. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of Catscore.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin states in the west end of Richmond where it is Wednesday, January the 8th. Cavaliers had probably their best, I don't know, best. This, that's a weird way to say it. Their most complete offensive game, maybe, uh, of the season Saturday against Virginia Tech, and then promptly went up to Conte Forum where even mediocre teams go to die. Um, they were kind of exactly what we sort of worried that they might be. Um, and folks who read Ferber's preview, uh, I think, were, were sufficiently previewed. Uh, we will talk about the loss to, to the Boston College Eagles minus two of their top three scores. We will get into a little bit um, kind of maybe what this might mean for them in terms of, um, I don't know, how long has it been since Virginia was on the bubble? But I feel like this team is kind of headed in that direction, especially if what we saw last night in Chestnut Hill is any indication of what's to come in ACC play. Uh, and then we're going to transition over to football. We'll, we'll get into, um, I don't know if folks had a chance to read the looking ahead piece I did. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that and kind of get into some of the questions that we have about the program going into winter workouts and in spring ball where – there will be um, plenty of, um, I think, plenty of interest coming off of a season where, you know, Virginia beats Virginia Tech and goes to the ACC Championship and the Orange Bowl and the way they played and everything. Um, plus, you know, no Bryce Parkins will uh, have a lot of people talk. Um, before we go around, or excuse me, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. For tonight, everybody is Justin Ferber up in Reston. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. Sorry for the delay. I couldn't find my unmute button. <laughs> I'm not used to going second. <laughs> At Justin <laughs> underscore Ferber on Twitter. And uh, Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Uh, Dave, is un- unfortunately, is not able to be with us tonight. He had a, a death in the family. His father-in-law passed away um, unexpectedly and uh, was not able to make it. Our, our thoughts and, and, and prayers are with him and his family as they go through um, what is obviously a very difficult time. So we will hopefully yeah. be back with Dave next week. Um, for now, it's just Ferber and I. We will, we will try to... Uh, to take care of the ship while, while Dave is, is not with us. Um, I guess, I mean, look, we've had enough conversations about this basketball team, right? Where it, it kind of, I don't want to say that we should have expected this, but maybe we should have expected this. Not necessarily that they would lose to BC, but that they would have a really kind of uninspired, lethargic kind of effort in a away scenario where maybe that place, you know, it wasn't a game that everybody would get super hyped up for. Um, I mean, look, clearly Boston College got super hyped up for it, um, but Virginia didn't have enough energy from the start, foul trouble right off the bat, and, and the thing got away from them in a hurry. They, they In the middle, like, like middle half of the game, so if you think of the game in 10-minute you know, increments, the first 10 minutes, the last 10 minutes weren't their, their jam, but the, the middle uh, 20 was pretty strong. Um, I, I, it's, it's a very odd situation to be talking about a Virginia team that – kind of can't seem to get out of its own way, but I feel like that's kind of where we're going to be with this team this season, dude. What do you, as you watch this thing unfold, were you surprised at all? I mean, what, when you coming away from it, what, what are some of your, um, your thoughts on the, on the debacle last night in, in uh, at Boston college? I mean, if anything, I was a little surprised early on at Boston college's shooting because not only did they make shots, they made tough shots. And I guess you just got to give them credit and keep playing. But at the end of the day, I mean, they shot the ball decently well, but not enough to where you can just say, um, you know, in a lot of losses like this, you could say, well, they just made every shot. You tip your cap. It's not your night. Boston College made some shots, but they didn't make enough to to say that. I mean, they were four of 17 from three. 
shot 44.7% from the field, um, missed nine free throws. Uh, you know, it, it just, it wasn't like Boston college played a perfect game. Um, now, I mean, I thought that they did a good job of getting the lead early and, and kind of holding off UVA's rallies, but, um, I think that, you know, the problem with UVA early on in the game was that they were able to get what they wanted, but they couldn't make the shots. And and that, unfortunately, just kept going through the game, right? I mean, they went 3 of 16 from 3. Uh, you know, they got the line 20 times, which is good. But, I mean, you know, the, the turnovers, they, they ended up with 10, which is the same as Boston College had. Um, and it was one of those games where it was like, at one point, you know, they had that five-point lead, and it felt like, okay, this is starting to trend in the right direction. But this team, you know, they haven't been able to to bury teams like the other that you know previous UVA teams have done. And and when they have the struggles that they have on offense on a per possession basis, the other team, you know, if they can just make a couple of shots against past UVA teams, that might not have mattered that much. But against this UVA team, you know, going from up three to down three can be a huge difference when every possession is such a challenge and. It just seems like the the more methodical they played, the the less the shots went in and the worse it looked. Whereas in the past, I feel like the more methodical UVA was, the better shot they got and more likely they were to make it. So I mean, again, it, it this game wasn't necessarily an aberration or something that we haven't seen before. It's certainly a bad loss, and I can't imagine it's not going to be their worst at this point because there's just not a lot of duds left. Um, but you know, you got to pick up the pieces and move forward, but you can't wish the ball into the basket. Uh, but that's UVA's biggest problem right now is just the inability to knock down shots that are makeable. Yeah, this was a very odd game in, in some ways, right? So, so Dick, it definitely Dick, felt weird. Yeah, Dikite and, and Huff get those early fouls, and you're not really sure. And then I thought Virginia did a good job of steadying itself. Dikite did a good job of staying in the game despite the foul trouble. Um, he has been. I think erratic is probably the best way to to describe it. There are moments where he looks uh, comfortable and ready to to sort of be the the torchbearer, so to speak. And then there are times when he just like really looks either like he's really in his head or he's just not really sure what he's supposed to be doing or how he's supposed to kind of grasp control. Um, Virginia shoots thirty three percent from the field. They are three of sixteen from three. You take out both of Kihei Clark was two for two from deep. You take that out, and the only other make out of um, 14 tries was was Statman. He made he was one for four. Um, I mean, I don't want to say that that's an untenable situation because I think that's just basically Virginia's situation. Um, I, I think that I've said on the podcast before, and I'm, I know I've said it like on radio. Like I think I even said it like on two different radio shows yesterday. Like teams that play disciplined anything are going to give Virginia problems, right? If they play disciplined offense or disciplined defense, heaven forbid they play both. Um, basically, teams like UVA will give UVA problems. Teams that want to muddy the lane or at least, you know, um, fight through screens and, um, you know, maybe they have a – if they have a specific system that they play to defensively, they're going to – Virginia's going to struggle because, like, you watch them against Tech. I mean, they can get anything they wanted. Now, granted, the, Boston College is a pretty decent defensive team this year. Um, numbers wise and there were still pl- plenty of stretches in that game last night where Virginia got anything that they wanted they just couldn't make anything yeah I mean I think one of the big similarities between the Tech game and the BC game was that neither team really had any interior presence right so like I mean Kihei Clark was getting to the rim against Virginia Tech way more often than someone his size should be able to do and and you kind of saw that early in this game I mean Braxton Key I think especially took advantage of it but 
Uh, they weren't able to do it consistently enough throughout the game. And oddly enough, the guys that you would expect to take advantage of, Adiakite and Huff, didn't in either game, really. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, the um, – I mean, listen, let's, be, let's, let's call the spade a spade with this team, right? Like, height is not the same thing as post, right? And I think that we understand yeah. that, you know, Jay Huff is, is long, right? But he's basically a long guard. He's not going to be a guy – um, that you're going to pump He's the ball into. He's not backing people down, right. dunking on them like Shaq. Right. And now he does have. <laughs> he's got good. Uh, he's got good mechanics down low in terms of his. Uh, he can go over either shoulder. Or he's got good touch. Footwork yeah, is a little there. bit is 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 an issue, and he's not good at understanding. You know how to create space right. on like a drop step. Um, Diakite has moments where he can do that, but he tends now to try to. He wants to. He wants to. Um, you know, to, to basically turn and face and then try to dribble past people, um, which is not it, it. It's like he's trying to do NBA stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Which is it's just not working. Um, and I think that's something that if if he's when he's able to play more in his lane, kind of what it, it, which is kind of reminiscent of the conversation we had last year. Right. About him, like when he's in himself and he you know, he's doing what he's supposed to. Virginia was pretty, pretty strong. And then when he wasn't, they struggled. But in this specific game. Without that kind of post presence, you know, you've got Kihei Clark. He's he goes two for eleven from the field, which you know he was essentially, you know, zero for nine from inside the arc. Um, and the only reason he's able to score double digits is because he gets to the free throw line where he was six of six. He's not he's not a guy who's going to be able to go up against dudes and be able to score in traffic. Against Tech, he was able to get to the cup in part because the cup was wide open. In this game, even though. Boston College didn't have a lot of length. They still had athleticism on the floor. Um, the uh, Felder kid gave him all kinds of trouble um, at the rim. So yeah. Steph Mitchell. He was like uh, the thing that got me was like that he was like blowing by them on when they had the yeah. ball. Like, yeah. And I was like, what is going on with yeah, this it, defense it, it right now? It looks very odd. Now we should mention that Casey Morcel, who only played uh, twelve minutes in this game, he was over yeah. four from the field. According to Tony Bennett, had you know a stomach bug or flu-like symptoms, stomach flu-like symptoms, however you want to describe it. Growing up, that which was makes stomach. sense because I was like, why isn't he in? Why isn't he? Why isn't he playing? Um, <laughs> and not not only was he not in, I mean, they had like Justin McCoy in, I think. Yeah, on, like, McCoy the last played few eleven minutes, and he barely plays. Well, when 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 Diakite and Huff were both out, they brought McCoy in, and because yeah. somebody you know Kafaro played, I think four minutes in this game. I mean, this would in have the been second a, half. This I would mean. have been a really difficult matchup for him to play any sort of extended minutes, right? Like, um, he, he, we were kind of talking about him at the orange bowl. Actually, I forget who I was talking to, but we were saying how he's more of like a, almost like early Jack salt. Yeah. Where, yeah. Like you could only play him against certain teams and certain, you know, like some games he would, he would start and then play two minutes and then you would never see him again. And then, you know, like some other games he played 37 minutes. Um, and the thing about him too is that, like, you know, he, he will get to a place I think where he could help them out in a game like this. But like, he's not in a in a spot physically where he's going to be able to move well enough for a team that plays as much around the, you know, that runs its action and, and plays that four out one in stuff. It's just going to be really tough for him. Um, and and credit to Boston College, I, I think too. Like, we I don't want to gloss over the fact that I thought in spurts they played really well. Um, and they the way that they answered the bell late, so Virginia ties it yeah. up. They come down and and they they close the game on a seven zero run. UVA was one of ten to close out the game, which is just you know it's just, it's 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 unfortunate because I look at that play that that there was that one call where they said the ball went off Kihei and it didn't. Um, eight seconds later, Huff picks up his fourth foul, 
Uh, and that kind of changed the complexion of the game for a little while there. Now, again, I, I thought Virginia had a good a good stretch in the middle, so to speak. But like, you got to start better than they've started the last two games, and you've got to do a better job of finishing better than they did, especially in this one. I, I, I would yeah. like to think that this can be a learning opportunity for them, but I feel like that's just going to be the whole season, right? That you're you're just never sure what you're going to get. It's like a roll of the dice. Some nights they're going to be locked in, things are going to go well, confidence will abound, some shots will fall, and then other nights they're going to struggle like they did last night. I, yeah, I think that, and I don't want to sound like, because um, they, they're going to win some games that potentially make what I'm about to say sound really dumb. But I think trusting, you should trust this team at your own peril, right? Like, they are going to, you can't trust them to lose either. So, you know what I mean? Like, right. you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. They can, they can come out and play like they did on Saturday against Virginia Tech, which is, you know, another thing. We're kind of focusing a lot on what happened last night, but they did blow out Virginia Tech by, what, 26 points on right. Saturday? Yeah. So. Two, talk about two very different results, and one that I thought, I mean, if you had showed me these two games and told me that Boston College was going to be without their two best players and say UVA was going to lose a close one and then win by almost 30, I would have flipped the results. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it just, because at least Virginia Tech, you could explain it by saying, like, they could shoot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, losing to to Boston College, um, no, I mean, obviously, they're 3-1 and one in ACC play, but it's a soft three and one, not to mention they were without their two best guys. Like I just said, um, including basically the only guy, only guard they had that was like, I mean, Heath is, is coming on as a freshman, but Thornton was the guy that you were afraid of and he didn't even suit up and they still won. Um, which is like absurd when you consider how big of a favorite UVA was with him, you know, expected to play at least by the numbers. And I mean, obviously not as big as they were last year in a lot of games, but almost, I think it was like double digits or close. So um, by the time the game started, obviously it wasn't this high before. But, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, if you can lose to Boston College, you can lose to anybody you're going to play the rest of the way because in the NCAA tournament, you're not going to play anybody worse than them, I don't think. So it's going to be a season of ups and downs, and and I think they still need to – if they want to prove that they can make some noise maybe in the postseason, I think they need to – consistently beat the teams they're supposed to beat at least, and then every once in a while knock off one of these Louisville-type teams or Duke. Um, focus on you know trying to beat these these teams that are in the lower half of the ACC and and then try to scratch out some wins against the top because I don't think you're going to be – I mean, obviously, they've already lost as many games this year as they did last year and the year before. So, <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, if you're if you're expecting another you know 26-4 type season, it's just not happening this yeah. year. To that point about them, you know, already you know having lost as many games or whatever. So Kim Palm right now, so Virginia has 16 games left. Win probabilities between 45 percent and 55 percent. They are half of the games. Now to put that in context, yeah. to put that in context, the last couple of years Virginia was like most most of the time was north of 80. North of 85. Yeah, I mean they had they had games in ACC play like this game last year would have been like a ninety six percent or something like yeah. that. This is like this is some twilight zone engaged. And then every sort of stuff. every home game was basically like in the nineties, yeah. except for Duke, which was like seventy eight percent or something. Yeah, um, it's very but yeah, odd. and then and the, yeah, their projected record would always be like you know twenty six and four or something, um, and then they would exceed that. Yeah. But this year, I don't even know what their projected record is. It's probably like twenty and ten or something. Twenty like and that. ten, twelve and eight currently um yeah and that's kind of what i was saying a couple weeks ago i was you know i think that that's going to be i was thinking i forgot that it's 20 games i said i thought they'd be like an 11 and 7 type team but if you extrapolate that out to 20 games that's about right 12 and 8 
Now, and that, I think, I think that would get them into the tournament. But yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> the um, seed is going to be like, if they go 20 and 10 and they finish like fifth or sixth in the ACC, which I think is very much on the table. Yeah. And they're, they could end up as like a nine seed or something. Yeah. It's very possible. Um, Honestly, though, with this group, maybe making the tournament is in and of itself an achievement. Um, it is. I think so. I think, you know, I don't want to talk too badly about this team, but I, I think that we kind of underestimated how, how, jarring it would be to lose the big three yeah um, and i think maybe we overestimated and again there's a lot of basketball left to play so they can make fools out of us in a, in a heartbeat here but i think we also overestimated um maybe not just diakite but but clark to some extent too right like we're used to seeing those guys when they were surrounded by so much talent yeah um, when they the don't have that experience exactly when they when they have to be the the, the guys carrying you know, not just the inexperienced guys, but also, you know, making the, a lot of the plays, you know, that's understandable. Like this is their first real time. I remember writing somewhere, I think it was preseason, right? Where I looked at the minutes that Sam Hauser had played more minutes than Mamadi D. Kite had played that like Sam Hauser, who was sitting on the bench for the season was going to be like, they're basically their most experienced player that D. Kite still hadn't played anything close to the number of minutes that he had played. I mean, that's a, he was essentially an ancillary piece at times, you know, last year, right? Like, he was important in a lot of games, but like important in spots, not important in like whole stretches or, you know, whole games. I mean, that was kind of the, and really, I mean, a lot of what he did was down the stretch yeah. where like, I don't remember the exact details, but it was some sort of like him and Tony had some, yeah, sort it was of after the ACC tournament, right? Jesus moment or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and maybe, and maybe that, you know, maybe he can, you know, get in his truck and go to Tony's house or whatever, like Joe did. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think, I mean, we mentioned this before the season started though. I know personally, I, that was one of my biggest concerns about this team's makeup was that a lot of people were like, Oh, well, mom will just step up and be right. the guy. Yeah. And it's like college basketball teams aren't built like that anymore. And I mean, like, listen, I, admit, a big. I, I fell into that trap because, you know, I figured, look, he if he's getting enough information from the NBA people to still hang around and continue to do these workouts, then he must yeah. he must be close. And if so, that's a good sign. And he still has. I still think he's a pro. I still oh think yeah, for sure. I do. I do too. I think it's he just, just he with this to, team, it's like it doesn't. Yeah. Even in the pros, he's not going to be a guy that's like the focal point of an right. offense. Yeah. You know. I mean, realistically, it's like, like, it's like building a team around. Um, like Mike Scott was a guy that you could build a, like like a like a, a not as good of a shooter version of him. Like you know, that's just not how teams are really built right now. If you and swap, if, if you don't have any shooting around him, then that puts even more pressure on him in the mid range and everything yeah. else. If you swapped Jabri and Casey Morcel, right, and said like Jabri was going to join him this year and Casey was going to come next year, think about how different those. The, not just this year is, but yeah. like sort of projection wise, because then you'd be I mean, adding a defensive just, stopper to a team that could really use it. And you'd be adding offense this year to a team that could absolutely use it. Yeah. I just, I, I hope that, um, you know, it's what are they halfway through the season? I hope that he can pick it up shooting wise in the back half. And I can't imagine him being any worse. And I hope that they continue to trust him to shoot. Yeah. Because I mean, like if to be quite frank with you, like, <laughs> If he was this bad of a shooter in high school, he wouldn't be playing there. Exactly. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if he's capable of being better than this. It's yeah. just for whatever reason, he just hasn't quite acclimated the way that we thought yeah. he might. And that has really changed the dynamic of this team too, because we thought maybe as a freshman and Dave brought up a good point that freshmen under Tony, Tony don't, really don't really blow do up. A lot. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it just hasn't really worked out the way that we thought it would so far. But even if it doesn't make the difference in win losses a ton down the stretch, you would like to see him go into next season with some momentum. The um, one other thing I want to mention on, on basketball before um, we move over to football, 
I was looking at the um, those win probabilities a minute ago. So Virginia gets Syracuse at home this weekend. Then they are going to go to Florida State middle of the week next week. All right. I think it's safe to assume, and again, with this team, as Ferber said, assume at your own peril um, anything. I mean, <laughs> but um, if, if, you, if you think one of those is a win and one of those is a loss, their next three games, Georgia Tech, NC State, Wake Forest, okay? They are predicted to win all three of them by Ken Palm. 55, 65, 56. When's the last time Georgia Tech, NC State, and Wake Forest were wins but that close, right? Um, two of those on the road, you get they got to go to Atlanta, they got to go to Winston-Salem. Um, and there's, there, you know, the, these are, the good thing about the schedule right now is that, like, not everything is super packed. They don't play the, their first um, Saturday, Monday thing is Georgia Tech, NC State. Um they don't have another one of those, but I believe the rest of the year. I think the Georgia Tech game is actually their their last game on a Monday night, so they don't have to pack a lot of those in there this year, um, which I guess is a, is a benefit for this team. Um, but it's just very odd, you know. Like I said earlier, it's like Twilight Zone kind of stuff. The idea that they're going to go play Georgia Tech, NC State, Wake Forest, and that there's their fifty five, sixty five, fifty six percent chances of wins for those games is just it's just so odd to me. But that's the, you know, I think Ferber had the right point. You know, you assume anything at your own peril, um, wins or losses. I, and I think the the fan response has been about what we expected. I mean, we had that conversation, I guess, preseason, right, about, um, you know, the, the, the title and how that would impact things. I mean, I'm watching that game last night, and I'm thinking, man, this is tough to watch. And I know, you know, I've got a, a good friend of mine who – who will text me that during games? And this is tough to watch. Um, I, I, yeah, I, and then it is, and that might be more frustrating than anything. It's just, it's just like really early hard. in the game. It was like wide open three. Oh, this might be the one that gets them going. Nope. Yep. No. And it just continues like that. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and take our our uh, our break for the evening. Talk to you about second string sports and Stewart's draft. Second string is uh, all the 2020 gear from Louisville slugger DeMarini, Wilson, Easton, and Evo Shield, as well as quality used gear that you need. So if you play baseball, softball, soccer, football, you can find the gear that you need at second string sports and Stewart's draft. If you have something from last season that you're not using anymore, you can bring it to second string and get a credit towards your next purchase. And if you're looking to purchase a new bat, but you're not sure which one you should get, you can go to second string and check out their demo zone. And they'll talk to you about the, the best bat for your swing. Uh, second string has a lot of, um, Wilson A2000 and A2K Gloves and is a Wilson Glove of the Month retailer. You can check out what they have to offer on their website right now, secondstringsports.com, that's second with a two, or you can check out their store on uh, Stewart's Draft Highway, 2627, um, just outside Waynesboro. First string quality, first string service, second string sports. Our thanks again to Second String for their support of the show and all of CavsCorner.com. All right, so football season is over, and so, of course, now we start to talk about Next football season, because that's what that's what fans and websites like this do. And and I find it interesting as we come out of the um, the afterglow, so to speak, of the Bryce Perkins era, um, kind of what life will be like after Bryce Perkins. And I mean, it's still it, it, every once in a while, I'll think about the fact that he broke Sean Moore's record in two years, um, which I understand that the game is different now and such and such. But I mean, the load he's carrying in those two seasons is just remarkable. And so how do you replace that? Um, I mentioned earlier, I did a, a looking ahead, which is kind of our, um, my catch all series for things for, you know, when we start talking, you know, a long ways in advance, 
Um, but but I wanted to kind of drill into a couple you know unknowns or some question marks for UVA. And on the offensive side of the ball, I think those three are pretty clear. You know, quarterback, running game. Um, what do you? How do you replace Hasis and Joe Reed? Um, the fact that offensive line is not a question mark. And according to Pro Football Focus, they were the best offensive line grade in the in the coastal, which. I mean, considering where they started is actually pretty remarkable in and of itself. Um, and, and I mean, you know, I think it's fair to, to give them some credit for, for some of Bryce's exploits as well. Um, as, as you look forward, Ferber, as you kind of, I don't know, um, kind of try to get a feel for what's coming around the, the bend, so to speak, um, coming out of winter workouts and into spring ball, um, how do you feel about those three questions? It, it, do you? I mean, obviously, replacing Bryce is is, is going to be a big deal. But the fact that we kind of know the answer, I don't want to say it, it like takes the drama out of it, but it kind of takes part of the unknown away from me. But I'm just I'm still I'm not entirely sure what to expect expect out of Brennan Armstrong coming out of the gate. What are your thoughts on replacing Bryce and 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 kind of how Virginia starts to move in that direction? Yeah, it, it's weird. They have this thing that uh, other teams try to do. It's called having a, a plan at quarterback, which is new. <laughs> I mean, how many times, like even in the past when guys have graduated, usually heading into the offseason that year, we don't really know what to expect. I mean, when, when Kurt Bankert left, until you know the last regular season game of his career, Bryce Perkins wasn't committed. So they didn't even know what would happen there. Um, and then obviously after he came on board, it was pretty obvious. But... I think, you know, we know who it's going to be unless something weird happens. But we haven't seen enough, in my opinion, the people that aren't at practice every day to know what what it's going to be like and and what the drop off is. Because I'm assuming there's going to be a drop off. Um, if there's not, then then UVA is in great shape for the next few years. But, um, it, you know, it's it's hard to replace a guy like Bryce Perkins in in so many ways. I mean, his ability to run the ball, his ability to make off schedule plays where, you know, he like the Florida touchdown where he runs around, hurdles a guy and throws a touchdown. I mean, those are plays that if you don't have them, I mean, it, it can dramatically change the course of a season. And luckily down the stretch, they were able to make enough plays on script to where they didn't have to rely on stuff like that. And you hope that with Brennan, they can pick it up where they left off. But yeah, I mean, I think that while we haven't seen enough, it sounds like the coaches have. Like it sounds like they know what they're getting, and I think that's the most important thing. Because I, I, you know, I was watching that Saints game on uh, on Sunday, and I was kind of laughing because I was thinking that Broncos kind of doing um, Brennan a disservice by comparing him to Taysom Hill when that guy's just a freak. I mean, he's so big and fast and talented in a, a, a multitude of ways. Um, if if Brennan can give them even a little bit of that, I think that's great. I'm interested to see what he can do as a passer just because really what we've seen him do is late game garbage time type stuff. And it's been a lot of like dink and dunk. He doesn't, I've never seen him throw the ball deep. I don't think in a game. So I'm interested to see what he looks like, you know, when he has a, a full 14 or however many spring practices under his belt going into that spring game. And, and if he, I mean, I'm assuming he'll be able to command the offense being that he's been in the system for his, I guess going on three years now. Um, but I'm just interested to see what his tools look like and, and with those, you know, what does that mean for UVA? How does that, how does it change, you know, how diverse the running game can be and, and, and what sort of pass plays they, they try to run to play to his skill set. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's the, you know, we've talked before, right. About the idea that like, and this is, this is something I mentioned in the, in the article, right. Um, that 
it will be different, which doesn't mean necessarily it will not, it, it will not be productive. It will just have yeah. to be a different type of production. I think what we're expecting to see from Brennan is more in line with maybe what Anai has done, you know, previously. Whereas what he was asking Bryce to do this year and last, especially this year too, you know, he was not necessarily, it wasn't necessarily that he wasn't going through his reads. He was, but there was a lot more just a flat out quarterback design run versus a true RPO. You know what I mean? Like that, that did not seem to be, at least from, from my vantage point as somebody. Well, I mean, it might look like an RPO, but there's no option. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It it, it just, it's just a, it's like a play action pass, right? Like, you know, there's no chance that he's going to hand it off. Right. And, and I think with Brennan, I think that's going to be part of his game is going to be, you know, being able to, to, to run yeah. it in a more and traditional Brock has pretty set. much said that. Yeah. I mean, he he pretty much said that after the Florida game. The uh, the 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 kind of subtext to all this is is that as great as Bryce was, Bryce should never have needed to carry that much of the load, right? Um, he made some incredible plays that, like you mentioned, like that one in the Orange Bowl where he sheds a couple tacklers, hurdles one guy, and then throws arguably one of the one of the most incredible touchdown catches I've I've ever covered. Yeah, I mean, he literally just put it up in a spot where he knew he'd have a chance to catch it. And, you know? and Hasis came down with it. How hot? I mean, Haas, I mean, I, I sometimes think like we were talking about a few minutes ago, right? Like the idea that we underestimated losing the big three. Like I, I think sometimes as I was writing a thing, I was like, sometimes I feel like we, I worry we're, we're going to underestimate losing Hasis because how many balls that he just did not have any business catching did he come down with? Well, I mean, my my thing with losing guys like that, it's not just their talent. It's the amount of, like, uh, if if they're playing so many snaps, it's just, like, the guys you expect to come in and replace them, they have to themselves take a big leap. You know, it's not just like, oh, well, it's not just replacing the production. It's also, like, you're asking a guy to be something that he hasn't been yet. Right, So. Which is goes back to our whole Kihei and Mamadi discussion, right? Like, but we also had similar. this conversation last year about replacing Alamade. We did, like, we did. I mean, and we it, were kind of like maybe, and we I think we kind of nailed it to be honest with you because we said it'll probably be more by committee than one guy doing all the work, and it really was. I mean, Hasis didn't even lead the team in catches, so yeah. although I mean, he I wasn't very Karif far did, off, and Jana ended up right there with yeah, them, but 77, so. 76, and seventy three. Right. Yeah. I mean, so it was really, and and I think O had like a hundred or something yeah. like that the year before. So, yeah. and I mean, then I think I think Cassis had like fifty, and he was second. And Joe Reed only yeah. had like twenty five catches. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is it like Joe Reed is kind of the blueprint for what you're hoping like you know from Dontavian Wicks or whatever. Like you know where Jana's going to be, and you you expect Jana to to bump up some. What what you really have to have is you have to have a guy who has you know twenty. 25 catches who now all of a sudden goes and catches 60 or 65. My question though, is going to be how much is Brennan going to be really throwing the ball? Because it sounds to me like there's going to have to be a lot more run. And I think the running game, as I mentioned in the article, like I do think that that's the place if, if Virginia's going to have success in 2020, it's going to be because they developed a running game. The offensive line, yeah. you know, you, you, you said something to me, God, was this last basketball game? Basically like you were like, yeah, we can't talk about it being a rebuild. Like it's over. Like it's built. Like yeah. now, you know, there is no more rebuild. I, the reason I say that is because I just I keep seeing it written and hear it like, you know, at this stage of the rebuild, it's like there is no more rebuild. Like they built it. <laughs> you know, like if it's if they're still rebuilding at this point, like what are they building towards? Right? It, the, the playoff? Because I think that's unrealistic. Um, you know. But yeah, I think 
at this point, you know, you kind of expect them to go next man up and have a solution. Right. And and so if the offensive line, as I mentioned before, in terms of the grades, you know, the best one, at least in terms of pro football focuses numbers in the in the coastal, they don't lose anybody. They add Geller step back. Um, you know, all of the younger guys are a year older. Um, they're in a they should be in a in a spot where a running game is not like um, they're not allergic to it anymore. And I understand this year, given where things were and how – once you once you had the thing cooking, it was kind of hard probably to be like, all right, listen, the offensive line is playing better. Let's, let's try to see what we can do to really commit to the run because that didn't necessarily fit what you needed. But I think going forward, it's fair to say that that's got to that's be a bigger part of the offense. That I don't think you're going to be able to hand the ball to Brennan and say, okay, I want you to go throw it 35 times. Um, and also, I don't think you can lean on him like you lean on Bryce in the exactly. running either. Yeah, he's just exactly. not that kind of player. And and as much as people want to make the Taysom Hill comparisons, go watch that dude play. Like he's a tank. <laughs> yeah, like Brennan's just not built like that. I will yet. say Brennan <laughs> is a dude who he looks for contact in a way that. Yeah, he's, he's like a more physical. Sort yeah, he, of. He and that's wants, what Bronco said. He's not afraid to kind, of, and not that Bryce is afraid. Yeah, no, no. But Bryce wanted he to get around. Like leans you. into the contact. Whereas right. Bryce tries to run by people. Right. Which Bryce he wants to get around you. Brendan wants to go through you. I, I do think that when they run the RPO, you know, and a lot more, you know, kind of options stuff, um, I, I do expect that Brendan will 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 have to be a part of the yeah. of the offense on the ground. The the difference is going to be that whereas Bryce had designed quarterback runs where essentially he's going to go and create some stuff. Brennan's going to have to create via uh, plays that create for him. Does that make sense? Like he, yeah, he's going to have schedule. to read, he's going to have to read something right because the play requires, you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be like, Oh, and here he goes. And he's going to get away from a guy and run. Like, I just don't, he's not going to be that kind of dude. Um, now I guess we should at least talk about the rest of the quarterback position. So RJ Harvey, apparently going to stay at quarterback. Um, Ira Armstead coming in, uh, in this early semester, I guess there's at least a chance that Virginia could look to the transfer market if they wanted to at quarterback. Um, I would imagine that them actually getting one is probably unlikely. Um, so realistically, Brennan being QB one makes the most sense, and and it seems to be the thing that that happened that that seems the most likely. Um, I do have some pretty decent um, expectations for Armstead. Once you know down the road, I don't think I don't think he's going to come in and win the job but you know strange you know stranger things have happened in terms of the running backs they return everybody um they'll have Seneca Millage to somewhere fit into the big scheme of things um that group is too talented um to to continue to be as mediocre as it was this year I mean they just were not able to do much of anything in terms of gaining yards now Talapapa ends up with 11 touchdowns which is nice but they need to do more. Um, and I don't know if it's, you know, Bronco has to pick a guy and, and just ride with that or if, you know, it can continue to be by committee. But realistically, like, a lot of what they've got at running back isn't going to change. So the question is what what what's going to change in order for them to, to get the running game going? What are your, I don't know, expectations or some of your – what's your gut tell you on how Virginia goes about trying to – trying to create a little bit of uh, – um, a little bit of a running game out of essentially nothing from the from that position this year. Yeah, this is one where I mean I've thought about this a lot, and I really don't know. Like, I feel like on the one hand, these you know what we saw. I don't think you can try to just roll that out again next year and, and hope it works with uh, with a quarterback that's 
probably needs more help in the running game, at least, especially if you're going to do read option stuff because it opens that up a little bit more. Um, but I, at the same time, I don't think these coaches are like, if there was an obvious, like, let's say, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in Mike Collins, right? I think if he was at a point where he, you know, was demonstrably better than, than Wayne, I don't, I don't think Wayne would be getting all the carries, right? I don't think they're that naive or whatever. Um, but at the same time, there's probably a few areas where he needs to improve if he's going to become the guy. And nothing against Wayne. He's really good on the goal line, but I don't know if he's the guy every down at this point because they had the perfect situation to create a running game with a quarterback that draws so much attention, and they still couldn't get anything going. Um, I don't know what Mike Holland's final numbers were, but he had more – I feel like he had a lot more explosive runs on fewer carries if you just look at the number yeah. percentage. Um it's- it certainly seems like he's going to be a little bit of a different guy in that respect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's more of just like a workhorse sort of guy that can, but can break some runs. And, and I really think that, I mean, the the thing that makes me feel good about it is in the, in the past we've had conversations like this and then the next year it didn't work out. A lot of times it was, how do you get the most out of a personnel group that has flaws or isn't deep enough, or you're relying on a transfer, that sort of thing. Right. This I feel good about the the talent at the position. Yeah, I feel good about it. Right. Um. I think, I think Wayne and and Mike and then PK as like the tailback core is good, and I really would like to see them use Lamont Atkins more this year yeah, uh, or next that's a, year. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to mention like, in the passing a, game and the running game. Yeah. If it, you're going to do the read option stuff, I think he'd be really yes. good for that. Yeah. So I think it's time to get him more involved because he has. In that Liberty game, we saw some speed from him that we haven't seen from other running backs in, in the entire. You know. Bronco era outside of smoke, I guess, who was kind yeah. of a, a one-off, but yeah, I mean, I don't really have a, a neat solution for this. You just hope that the, the offensive line continues to get better. And maybe it just takes a little bit of, it makes it easier on the running backs to get things going. But yeah. um, maybe Mike Collins is the guy and he just needs to work on pass blocking or something like that, but we'll, we'll see in time. But I, I think that it, it could be one of those situations where it takes them like a month to figure it out yeah. in the regular season next year. To your point about, Atkins, I I really think of running the running backs as like two different groups. So there's the three three headed monster of Hollins and Tyler Papa and Kier, Kier. Wow, I'm still making those mistakes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Three years in, year four. <laughs> um, but and then I think of Atkins and and, and Millage is kind of being in this yeah Millage. Group. We have no idea what they're gonna do with him. Yeah, like, which where, is where, if they which see is him both in the slot, a gift know, and what, a curse, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but like, but I, just, I mean, that's that. I'm sure they can figure something out. Oh yeah, it's just, for sure. It's just, what do you want? Do you want to give him carries, or is he gonna be more like a like a H back yeah. sort of player? Well, because I kind of think like with the read option stuff, depending on you know how crafty you want to get, you can, and especially because this is gonna lead to my next point, which is something I left out of the article. I would not be opposed if they decided it was time to go ahead and go fast. Um, it, it, it seems like <laughs> I feel like we say this we've had this year. we've had this con- I was going to say we've had this conversation numerous times, right? Because we talk about like how are they going to do X? They don't do X, and then we talk about well, what if they went fast? I, I'm not. I understand the difference right now between okay, you had Bryce Perkins, and now you have Brennan Armstrong, and you're you're handing over the. Uh, the conk, so to speak, and 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 now he's going to have control, and maybe now's not the right time. If you weren't going to do it with Bryce, when would you do it? But I just think that because you can put weapons on the field in the in a true read option, in a in a true um, RPO kind of scenario, right? You can put those options on the field and 
everything can look exactly the same from pre-snap. And it's very different once you run the play. And I just, I wonder, and you you, you sound off on this, I, I just wonder if there's not some real bang for your buck there. Um, I feel like the parallels between what we talk about basketball and football tonight are very interesting because UVA basketball right now, Wanting to go a little faster and get into the offense a little quicker and thing that actually seems to help them. I just, I, I just wonder if they not necessarily. <laughs> Thank if God they we win. have football to distract us from all this bad basketball right? news. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's like surreal. Um, yeah. But like, it's not necessarily saying that they need to go as fast as they did when they were BYU. But if if that was a a, a central piece of their offense, where you know once they got you on the raw, on the right hash and they could they didn't have to substitute and they could kind of you know go at you a little bit. That's I think the the lane I want to see them in. That's the that's the thing that that makes the most sense to me. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that we'll continue to see situational tempo, but I agree with you. I think that we'll see more of it, or I think that they they should do more of it, uh, or could do more of it. Um, you know, we saw like in the beginning of the Clemson game, for example, they they went tempo, or and at certain points in in games where they were behind, or you know, the North Carolina game they did it. Um, I think that we might just see more of that, but I don't know if they're going to go completely hurry up all the time. Um, I think that I honestly think that their plan was their strategy was to go fast and try to score a lot of points. And then they got here and then they kind of flipped it to this possession based eat up the clock sort of brand of football. Um, I think this year we might find something in between, which is what a lot of teams do, which is, you know, kind of strategic tempo. Um, but I think with the read option and, and doing a lot of like quick passing that, that they've been doing anyway, I, I think you know this could be a year where we see more of it than we have in the past. It's just it's hard to know what this coaching staff is thinking with that kind of stuff because they, they don't you know they're not going to come right out and say it. I don't think. Um, but you know I mean I, I think if we see more of it in the spring, then that could lead us to to the, the conclusion that maybe they're going to start going in that direction. But you know they know a lot more than we do about what Brennan is good at and, and what works for him. So I mean we'll just have to kind of defer to them on that, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And and I think too, you mentioned earlier, you know, the idea that Brennan's been in the system for so long. Um, you know, they I think that's got to be a strength. You know, I understand that once you've seen live bullets, and it's going to be very different being the starter versus being the backup. And and I don't mean to gloss over, you know, not having Hasis, not having Joe Reed, or you know to generate the running game. But I mean, like I said in the piece, like that position, we all, we all understand it. Like that's going to define UVA season is how well they're able to, that, how well that transition goes. Right. And playing to his skill set to me seems to be um, given the opportunity to, to run some RPO stuff. Um, you know, I feel like we've seen some, it's not true RPO, but like those plays where, you know, you're trying to isolate Tanner Cowley out in the flat, you know, like that stuff um, where Bryce is, is is clearly throwing it even before he's made the, the fake. You know what I mean? Like those those little tweaks here and there, I I I really like the idea of Brendan running that stuff and then maybe doing it with some some speed. Um, we'll talk defense um, next time because there will be what one we're probably going to think we might podcast after the Florida State game. So we might have two games, basketball games to talk about. We'll, we'll get in some defense next time. I'm sure Dave will have – offense things that he would like to mention um and then we'll talk defense as well we'll just let dave come in for the first like 10 minutes next time and just talk about whatever. <laughs> all the things yeah. that he would like to all say all the things that you wanted to say last week when that, you listen to yeah this. that's right Go for it. exactly um but the one thing i will mention on the defensive side because i was trying to start writing that um for later in the week 
it's funny because this thing is almost always like these kinds of these kinds of features are almost always like negative focused, right? So what will Virginia do now that they don't have X, right? On defense, it's, it's the opposite. What will Virginia do now that they have all of these options? You know, like defensively, like, yes, you, you lose Eli Handback, you lose Jordan Mack, you lose Bryce Hall. Um, there's a whole lot of dudes who are going to be back, and you still have a lot of young guys who have not, who have not gotten on the field, right? Like, they haven't used Hunter Stewart yet. He's a four-star linebacker. Right. Like we've seen some glimpses of Nick Jackson. Uh, we've seen some some glimpses of Juwan Briggs. But I mean, he's still not an every down guy or, you know, he's not playing predominantly, you know, in that spot. Um, that ben Smiley hasn't played yet. I mean, like there's a lot there other than maybe you want to talk about cornerback. Like that's the one position where maybe where there's some concern. But but um, you also have the guys at corner that missed a lot of this season but have played or, yeah well you know. even just getting Brenton nelson back you know in and of itself is, is yeah huge and bradden yeah but getting bradden back and you know he's back and uh you, you would have smith was hurt a lot yeah. like i mean you know hopefully those guys can make the leap and and then you know you got the the young guys like major williams who played on special teams tenya dixon played some i guess he played some safety too um just wherever they needed him um yeah those guys, you know, Jalen Baker. Yeah, Jalen Baker and Cypress. And, um, you know, it's it's just funny because it if it's if you looked at a position on defense, you thought, where's the problem? Maybe you look at cornerback, you say, well, how do you you know, what's life like after Price Hall? But then they kind of had to experience some of that to some extent. And you also understand, like, how much how much talent they had that they couldn't use because of either red shirting or because guys were hurt. But that's like the one position on the field like Nick Howell what he does with those dudes and how quickly he gets them ready. Like we, we forget like Bryce Hall didn't show up to UVA being all America Bryce Hall. Like maybe, maybe the clay was there, but it had to be molded. Bryce certainly worked for it. And I think Nick is a big reason why, you know, he had so much success. Um, you know, I, I, I still can't believe that that secondary played even as well as it did this season, honestly, given some of the, you know, the, the situation and yeah. And they turned cross enough bouncing guys, for, back and they forth. turned enough guys that were, I don't want to say borderline takes because I don't think that's fair, but two stars, you know, yeah. Joey Blunt, yeah. Bryce Hall, yeah. uh, cross a converted quarterback. Like they've taken enough guys and made them good to great that it's not an anomaly. Right? Yeah, true that. And I mean, the idea that <laughs> I, I've talked to quite a few UVA fans that were really down on Tim Harris and, you know, he ended up that's as a, a pro. Point. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and like, not in like on a practice team, he's like on the 53, like, right. You know, he's, he's like actually playing. Um, but I think that's a, a good place to put a pin in it. Um, I want to thank uh, everybody out there for continuing to support the show. If you're somebody who found the show through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you can download a podcast. We are probably there. Um, and if you're so inclined, give us a rating or review. It helps to get us out in front of more people. If you're somebody who has found the pod, hasn't given us a look yet, check us out, calfscorner.com right now. Let's see. I got uh, – there was an update on uh, three-star defense end Savion Jones that uh, my buddy Sam Spiegelman did, um, as well as I did a, um, a in-depth sort of thing with um, Jay Wolfolk, the um, three-star dual-threat quarterback from Benedictine that's committed to UVA, going to play baseball and football. Um, so you check that out. You can also give a look to the um, looking ahead pe- uh, feature that I was just mentioning a minute ago. Um, as Let's see. As you listen to this in the afternoon – What's oh yeah, Ferber's gonna have his ACC power rankings and be very interested to see where Virginia falls in that. 
Um, that's going to be fun. <laughs> Stay um, tuned. <laughs> I, ex- I totally expected you to be like, wait, I totally forgot we were going to do that. And then say like abort the mission. Um, but then also too, we'll get you ready for Saturday's game of Syracuse. And then I'll have the, the defensive side. I might not even put numbers up there. I might just kind of like put the teams out <laughs> Lump there them together. Like here's teams in the ACC and here's what their records be like, are. Be like Duke, Florida state drop Louisville, everybody else. Uh, and, I guess, and the thing is this year, I mean like there's bad teams, but there's not the team where you're like, Oh no. Like, yeah. you know, True. The team that's you know eight and twenty or whatever right. happening to the season, like at Boston College, we think is that team they're three and They're one three and ACC. one. Yeah. Uh, remember, hit that Fanatics link. Uh, whether it's UVA, NFL, MLB, NBA, whatever, any kind of gear that you want, uh, use that link. Um, anything that you purchase goes to help support the site, and we we appreciate that. Um, lastly, I want to thank Thorium Wealth and Second String Sports for their support. You can visit Thorium Wealth online at thoriumwealth.com. T H O R I U M, and you can also visit Second String Sports Second with a two. Um, or if you're so inclined, you can click the uh, links in the podcast app of choice or on the content item for this show. Again, want to thank everybody out for continuing to support the show. 339 episodes. Still blows my mind. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Ferber for giving graciously of his time. As always, I very much appreciate it. So for Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.